You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We turn now to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. We read together the first seven verses, Ecclesiastes 5. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God, and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are, that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Let us pray together. Lord, it is with great sobriety and seriousness that we approach your word each and every time, for it is our desire to hear from you and to take seriously those cautions and instructions that you have provided for us in this revealed truth. So we pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes that we may behold in your word wonderful things, incline our hearts to the truth, not only to hear it, but also to obey it, and help us as we, as we approach you and we draw near to you in your word, that we may do so observing our steps and watching carefully so that we may not offer to you the sacrifice of fools or lives of disobedience. May you be glorified in this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that you were given an opportunity to, to address somebody of high importance or significance. Now, for you, this might be a, a celebrity or a sports figure or the President of the United States or a congressman or the Supreme Court justices or whatever it is, but I want you to imagine, you fill in the blank, I want you to imagine that you're given 15 minutes of uninterrupted time, uh, unfettered, you just can walk in and you have 15 minutes with this individual to say whatever comes on to your mind, whatever you would like to say, you can talk about anything, you can talk about anything you want for as long as you want or as much as you want or you can sit and listen. 15 minutes with that individual. Now, for me, it's not the President of the United States that I would choose. Uh, there, there has not been, save one, any President in my lifetime that I think would be worth spending 15 minutes with. Uh, none of them. So for me, it's somebody else, it, Joe Montana or Bill Walsh or somebody like that. It's, I would rather spend 15 minutes with somebody like that. But in your mind, this individual will be 15 minutes of unfettered access. Now, here's the question. How would you approach that meeting? Would you give no thought to such an opportunity? Would you just sort of walk in and wander in and say whatever pops into your diseased brain at the moment and just ramble on with some stream of conscious talking about whatever came to your mind as it came to your mind during that time? Would you give no thought to the significance of this individual or the significance of this event or, or even the privilege that it is to have 15 minutes of unfettered and uninterrupted time with this individual and, and have their full attention for that period of time? Or would you plan what it is that you are about to say and think carefully about what it is that you are about to say and even think through what is it that I want to talk to this individual about and how is it that I want to talk about these things or maybe I want to listen, maybe I want to ask questions. Would you give some thought to, to how it is that you would approach that individual? I suspect that you probably would. 
You wouldn't want to step into somebody's presence like that and ramble like a fool and, and just spill out your words and take no time to think and no time to ponder what it is that you're going to say. If that is true of, of human dignitaries, however exalted they may be in the eyes of men, how much more true is that for the time that we spend walking into the presence of the most holy God who dwells in heaven and sits on His throne and rules over everything? How much more ought that to be the case in our approach to Him? That we would come into God's presence and think carefully about the significance of this activity and, and the significance of the individual and the glory of the individual that we are addressing. We ought to do that with great care and great caution and great concern and to not do it flippantly, to not do it mindlessly, but to give some consideration to that great privilege and what that great privilege has cost somebody to gain us that access. Because we don't just have 15 minutes, do we? A one-time shot? In fact, we can come at any time of the day, any time of the night. We can come for 15 minutes or 15 hours. We can draw near. We can come in spurts if we want. It is, it is in the truest sense an unfettered and unhindered and unlimited access to the throne of grace, and we are encouraged to draw near to God in that way. But we ought to do so minding the cautions that Scripture gives us about how it is that we approach God. And that is what Solomon gives to us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. In that passage that we just read, we looked at verse 1 last week, we saw that this, this passage is littered with the language of Old Testament worship. Solomon describes coming into the house of God, drawing near to God, being in the presence of God. He speaks of prayer. He speaks of sacrifices. He speaks of listening to God, and the implication is there that there's something that God has to say to us in His Word and how we approach God. Solomon talks about keeping vows and making vows and paying our vows and the attitude, the fearing of God that we ought to have in verse 7. So this, this entire passage is littered with the language of Old Testament worships, things that that Old Testament Jews would have been familiar with in, in all of their dealings with God and their approach to the temple and how it is that they worshiped. And so Solomon is giving wisdom concerning worship. And we saw last week that there are three things that Solomon addresses. He talks about sacrifices in verse 1. He talks about prayer in verses 2 and 3. And he talks about the making and keeping of vows in verses 4 through 7. And last week we talked about the sacrifice of fools. What is it to offer a sacrifice of fools? Solomon is not describing the entire Old Testament sacrificial system and all sacrifices as if to say that in coming into God's presence in the temple and bringing a sacrifice, any and everybody who does that is a fool. That's not what Solomon is describing. He is talking about the sacrifices that fools would offer. What are the sacrifices that a fool would offer? A fool is known for his many words. A fool sins with his mouth. A fool speaks things with his tongue that are rash. So the sacrifice that a fool would offer is one that is flippant and careless and is not concerned with how he approaches God, and is not concerned with listening, he just wants to speak his mind. That's the sacrifice of a fool. So today we are turning our attention to the prayers that we offer and how it is that we are to approach God. And I mentioned last week that this passage in Ecclesiastes is kind of unique because it's positive, and it is almost as if the cynicism of Solomon's approach to all of these other subjects has sort of vanished for the time being as he focuses upon how it is that we are to approach God. Solomon had some wisdom to offer, and not everything that he says is to be dismissed as just the cynical ramblings of, a, of an impious Jew who had wandered from God. There are things that Solomon says that are true and right, and this is one of those passages. And so his advice here, his counsel here regarding how we approach God and what should inform our worship, these are right things, and we do well to heed them. So we looked at the sacrifice of fools, verse 1. Now we're looking at the prayer and how it is that we are to approach God in prayer. Verses 2 and 3. Let's read them together, and I want you to notice that Solomon cautions against two things in prayer. Two things. First, thoughtless words, mindless words, or meaningless words, and second, verbosity in prayer. Verbosity is just a real highfalutin way of saying 
He uses a lot of words to say something that he could have said with only one word, kind of like the definition of verbosity, right? He used a bunch of words to say something that was really simple. So Solomon's warning against two things, mindless words and many words. We could put it that way, mindless or meaningless words and many words. You see the mindless words in verse 2. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are in the earth. And now look at the warning against a multitude or many words at the end of verse 2. Let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. He's warning against two things in prayer. Using mindless and empty words and using a lot of words, just rambling on. So we're going to deal with both of those. Before we jump into those, I want you to notice a couple things about, about prayer from the context. This is not the only place in these verses that Solomon cautions us about the words that we use and, and ways in which we can sin with our mouths. In fact, sprinkled throughout verses 1 to 7 are a bunch of warnings about how we might sin with what it is that we say, not only offering the sacrifices of fools, but also in prayer and in keeping vows. In verse 1, when Solomon says that we are to draw near to God to listen, the implication is that we draw near to God with hearts that are inclined to hear Him and to obey and not mouths that are inclined to speak rashly. And so one of the ways that we can sin with our mouth is to come into God's presence with just an, an impulsive willingness to talk rather than to listen. And I'm not talking about contemplative prayer, by the way. I, I, it's sad that I even have to it's sad that I even have to clarify this, but there are some people who teach that, you know, you draw into God's presence and then you just sort of empty your mind and listen to whatever thought pops into your head and that that's what it means to listen to God. That's not listening to God. That's just paying attention to whatever thought randomly pops into your diseased brain. We ought not to think that that's how we hear God speak. We draw near to listen to God in His Word, and the implication being that when we come to God, we are drawing near to hear what He has said to us, and that is contained here not to speak what it is that necessarily we want to say to God. So that's the one way that we can sin with our mouths. Uh, another, look at down at verse, well, he speaks here of, be, of sinning with our mouth in prayer, but look at verse 4. When you make a vow, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is, look at verse 6. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Look at the end of verse 6, why should God be angry on account of your voice? He's talking about ways that we offend God and make God angry with our mouths, with our lips, with the things that we say. Verse 7, for in many dreams there are many words, there is emptiness, and rather we should fear God. So this passage is littered with warnings about the misuse of our mouth and using words in a way that offends God. It is possible for us to sin in prayer, not just by what we might say about somebody else, but what we might say to God, because He is concerned with how we approach Him. Second, I want you to notice that in verse uh, 1, when he talks about the sacrifice of fools, that's not the only place, in he mentioned, place he mentions folly in the passage. In fact, Solomon speaks of fools three times in the passage, once in connection with sacrifices, once in connection with prayer, and once in connection with making and keeping vows. He speaks of the sacrifice of fools in verse 1. Here in verse 2, uh, what is it, 2? Oh, verse 3, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. So he speaks of folly and foolishness in connection with our prayer. And then in verse 4, he says that God does not delight in fools. So that it is possible to be, folly, uh, to be foolish and practice folly, not only in how we offer and what we offer as sacrifices, but also in how it is we pray and what we pray for, and also in making and keeping vows. So there is a caution against folly in all of these aspects of our worship. We do not want to worship as fools, do we? We shouldn't want that. We should be terrified at the prospect that when we gather together here to, before the Lord, that what we might offer to Him might be a practice of folly and foolishness. 
Further, we ought to be terrified by the idea that in doing so, we might actually anger God or make Him displeased with us so that He would destroy the works of our hands, as verse 6 and 7 cautions us. So what does it mean then to worship God and to offer to Him prayers that are righteous and good and pleasing to Him? That is the, that is the answer. There's an answer given to us in verses 2 and 3. So I want you to notice it, verse 2, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. Uh, notice that Solomon has a parallel, it's a parallel idea here, hasty in word or impulsive in thought. These are two things, but they run parallel to one another. Um, words are the things that we say in prayer in the presence of God and bringing up a matter in the presence of God verbally, but thought is the way in which we might pray or bring up a matter in the presence of God just in our minds without ever uttering words. So Solomon is covering both of those bases, the words that we use, even the thoughts that we think while we are drawing near in the presence of God. And he says, do not be hasty in your words or impulsive in your thoughts. The word hasty there is, is a word that has a lot of different meanings and is translated various ways in Scripture. It's sometimes translated as disturbed, sometimes it's translated as distressed, or even as trembling. So where do you get hasty? How, does, how is it that it can be hasty and trembling and distressed and disturbed at the same time? Well, imagine that you are in a situation where you are trembling and disturbed and distressed and scared of something or terrified of something. What might you do? You might act what? hastily, in a knee-jerk reaction or a knee-jerk fashion. And that's kind of the idea behind this word, that you just do something without thinking about it, that you are thoughtless. You don't give any thought to what it is that you pray. You don't give any thought to what it is that you bring up in the presence of God. You're just speaking off the top of your head. Don't be hasty in your words. Don't be a knee-jerk in your words, just saying whatever comes to, to your mind. That's the caution. Or impulsive in thought. And the word impulsive there describes something that is energetic or an action taken without thought or sense. In other words, it's just a mindless action. It is possible for us to speak mindlessly, is it not? I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Not to step on anybody's toes, but here's a couple of examples of this. How often is it that we pray thoughtlessly without ever really thinking about what it is that we are saying, what it is that we are praying about, or how it is that we are praying about what we're praying about? Have you done that? I have found myself praying, and maybe this doesn't apply to anybody else in this room or hearing my voice except for me, but I have found myself praying, and before long, my mind is wandering, and while I am praying about one thing, I am thinking about something else until I snap back to reality and ask myself, what in the world did I just say? What in the world was I just praying about? Or I commit to pray about something or for something without actually giving thought and cautious consideration to what it is that I'm being asked to pray about or what it is that I'm being asked to pray or how it is that I might address God concerning this issue. A, thought, a, a thought, thoughtlessness and carelessness in how we pray and what we pray is a form of foolish praying. We ought not to think that just because we are speaking and venting our mind in the presence of God that He is pleased with such prayers. I don't believe that He is. In fact, I think it is possible to make him angry on account of our voice because we are standing in his presence, rambling on and on, stammering with mindless words that we just string together in this string of consciousness without actually giving serious and intentional consideration to what it is that we are saying and the presence and, and the one in whose presence we are saying it. So thoughtless prayers is one way that we can sin with our tongue. I think that we are far more prone to profane our prayer time with mindless ramblings than we are to actually uh, cool our fervency by giving some thought to what it is that we are praying. 
And I hope you don't think that, boy, Jim, you're just, like, you're just ruining my prayer life. Because I, I love to just come into God's presence, just say what's ever on my mind, however I want to say it, and just start talking. And then I turn around, and I don't even know what I've said, but an hour has gone by, and I think, man, I've drawn not near to God for the last hour. I hope you don't think I'm trying to ruin your prayer life, because I'm not. But listen, if, if your prayer life consists of a bunch of meaningless phrases that, that, you, that you just ramble because you think that that is prayer, that, that's not prayer. And we ought not to think that it's prayer. We ought, we ought to be serious about our desire to approach God in His presence and to think clearly and cautiously about what it is that we are saying and to approach Him in a serious manner. Because prayer is not just the uttering of words. It is communing with God on the basis of truth and what He has revealed. And so instead, we ought to give thought to what it is that we are saying to Him. And, and, and as we are praying, we ought to ask questions like this. What is it that I am about to pray about? How is it that I am going to pray about this? What has God revealed in His Word concerning this issue with which I want to address Him? What has He said about it so that I might pray intelligently and pray in accordance with His Word? Because the promise is not if you come into my presence and just say a bunch of stuff off the top of your head, I'll answer whatever it is that you ask. That's not the promise. The promise in Scripture is if you ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and we have the request that we have asked of Him. So we need to inform ourselves about what God's will is. What is it that I am praying about? Who am I praying for? What is God's will in this situation? What would be an intelligent way of asking God to accomplish His purposes for His glory and the good of this individual in this particular situation? And to give some thought to that so that when I come into God's presence to ask Him of something, that I'm asking something intelligently of Him. And this doesn't strip prayer of its spontaneity. I'm not suggesting that you manuscript out, like I do a sermon, everything you plan on saying and come up with five points and a poem to close it. That's not the intention behind, behind this idea of approach to prayer. It doesn't strip prayer of its spontaneity. Even this morning while I was preparing this sermon, I got a text from a friend in Canada who said that his dad just had another heart attack and he is not doing well, so please pray for him. Now, I stopped right there. I didn't manuscript out my prayer. I didn't, I didn't try and think through exactly everything that I was going to pray, but in a very spontaneous fashion, I knew what I wanted to pray and I knew what I needed to pray, and so I was able to pray for that intelligently and, and purposefully and, and hopefully sounding intelligent in the presence of God, but we ought to give some thought to that, should we not? One example of one way in which we thoughtlessly pray, pray is by just stringing together meaningless words that mean nothing. A second example of that would be praying for things that we ought not to be praying for. I'm absolutely convinced that God is involved in every little thing and He is working out by His providence everything that comes to pass for the good of His people and for the glory of His own name. Which means that Aunt Susie's ingrown toenail is important to Him. I believe that. But do I need to pray about Aunt Susie's ingrown toenail? Now, if this is something that is near and dear to your heart, and this is something that you can pray intelligently about, I would suggest that you do that. But there are a myriad of things for which we ought to be petitioning God that left, are left unsaid and unasked while I think we are tempted to pray about very inane things and meaningless things. We can also pray for things that we have no business praying for because they are not for our good and they are not for our blessing. And we do this, we, we ask and we do not have because we seek to consume it with our own lusts and we seek to spend it on ourselves. James warns against that. We ask for things that are not God's will because we do not ask ourselves what has He revealed concerning these things in His Word. And so we pray for things that we shouldn't be praying about and asking for things that we ought not to have that are not for our good and not for our benefit and not for His glory, but they are selfish things. And so it would be good to run some of those things through that filter, would it not? 
and to say, should, should I really be asking for this? And if I'm going to ask for this, then what is the way that I can ask for this that is in keeping with God's Word and with God's purposes? We sin with our tongue. James warns against this. He says, if no man sins with his tongue, he's a perfect man and he's able to bridle the whole body as well. James says the tongue is a world of iniquity. Jesus warned us that everything that is in our heart comes out of our mouths. The, the mouth is the pressure valve of what is building up in the heart. And so we can sin very easily and very quickly with our mouths. Let us intentionally purpose that we shall not do so in prayer when we are coming into the presence of God. That we will not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, as Solomon warns us. And this should not ruin prayer. There is a reason given in verse 3 because God is in heaven, or this is in verse 2, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It's good caution. Don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought. Why? Because God is in heaven. Now, this is one of those phrases that, depending on how you read Solomon's intention here, you can take it one of two ways. There are people who think that what Solomon is doing here is he expressing again his cynicism and he is applying his mindset and worldview that everything is meaningless and vain even to prayer. And so Solomon is just simply saying, look, don't bother talking to God. He's in heaven, you're on the earth, so don't be rushing into God's presence and thinking that you have access to him. He doesn't care about you, you're just a worm, you're just dirt, he's not going to listen to you. So don't be hasty in thought to say anything in the presence of God because he doesn't care. He's got a universe to run. He's sitting on his throne doing his thing, and you are of no concern to him. I don't think that's what Solomon is saying. I tend to read Solomon a bit more charitably in this passage for the reasons that I explained last week when he kind of went through verse 1. I tend to read Solomon a bit more charitably, and I think that he is being serious. He is saying God is a transcendent God. He is high. He is holy. He is exalted. He is lifted up. He is majestic. He rules over all things. Yes, he is. He is completely other than we are. We have never seen or experienced anything that is like unto our God. And so when we draw near unto Him in His presence, we ought to remember this. He is in the heavens, and we are on the earth. And so therefore, we watch our steps closely as we draw near to God and come near to offer to Him sacrifices. And when we pray, because that transcendence is there, that is not to minimize the nearness that we enjoy with God. Because though God is transcendent, He is also very near to us, is it not? Has not He brought us near by the blood of Christ? We are his children now. We are to call him father. We are to enjoy that familial relationship with God. He has adopted us as his own. He has given to us the kingdom. He has bestowed upon us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are encouraged to draw near. We are commanded to draw near. We are told that we ought to approach his throne of grace fervently and frequently with our prayers and petitions and ask anything that we want of him and, and draw near to him in that sense. But the fact that we have been brought near does not eliminate the transcendent. God is still a holy God. Yes, he has brought us near. That doesn't mean we should not fear him. But my fear is not a dread and a terror, like I fear a, a stalker or something like that. It's not that type of a fear. It's a holy reverence and a holy awe. So that, though we have been brought near into a familial relationship, that doesn't eliminate the fact that he is in heaven and we are on earth. And there is a transcendence there that must be understood and, and, a, and a holiness and an otherness to his person that should inform how it is that we approach him in all seriousness and not in any kind of flippancy. That, that should not characterize our prayer. I think Habakkuk, Habakkuk strikes a note on one side of this in Habakkuk 2 verse 20 when he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Don't you just want to do that? I think God is in his holy temple. Who is our God? He treads upon the waves. He creates everything, speaks it into existence. 
of every concept of his power and his awesomeness and his ability and his majesty and his righteousness, his burning, passionate, holy righteousness and justice and those things, we have to stand before him in a sense of holy awe. Let all the earth be silent before him. Hebrews strikes a balance between this idea of transcendence and the holiness and reverence that we ought to have, uh, the holiness of God and the reverence that we ought to have for him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you see both of those things? We have been given a kingdom. We are his children. We have been adopted. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us. Therefore, let us draw near to him to offer to him sacrifices and worship and praise, but let us not forget our God is a consuming fire. And so we do so with reverence and with awe. See, both of these things are true. And this is Solomon's caution here. Don't be impulsive in thought. Don't be hasty in your words. Just simply bring up something in the presence of God in a meaningless or mindless fashion. Give some thought to this. Be careful and guard your steps as you approach the house of God, verse 1 says. And the reason is because God is in heaven and you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. That's the, that's the caution against meaningless words. Now the caution against many words, and that's at the end of verse 2. Let your words be few. Let your words be few, not many. Where did we ever get the idea that God is impressed with the multitude of the words that we use in prayer? Where did we get this idea? Where did we get this idea that if the, the, the more I talk, the more persuasive I will be, that the more I talk, the more God will be pleased with this, and that he will look down and smile and answer me if I can just string together enough phrases, enough words, maybe use the word Lord enough times in the prayer, and, 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 and keep talking until he finally just wears down and gives in to my demands. Where do we get this idea? This is, Solomon's warning is kind of like Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus is not saying don't ask Him. He's saying when you ask Him, don't just use meaningless repetition. Don't think that God will hear you because of your many words. God hears us because of what Christ has done and because He is our Father and He knows what we need and He is concerned about us. That is why He hears us, not because we use lots of words. Therefore, in the words of Solomon, let your words be few. Speak just a little bit in prayer. You, you don't need to ramble on. You have said your piece. Move on. Let me give you some examples of this type of prayer. Back in the 1980s, there was a, a musician. His name was Jerry Propey. Now, I don't know. This is not in any way an implicit endorsement, an explicit endorsement, because I haven't heard a Jerry Propey song in 25 years, so I have no idea what he is doing or where he's doing or what he's teaching or what he believes or even what he's singing right now. But Jerry Propey performed at our Bible college. And if Google is right, then... I mean, Jerry Propey is not a real common name, so if Google is right, he's leading music at a Baptist work somewhere up in Alberta, from what I can, from what I can find out. But Jerry Propey was a one-man band. So it means when he showed up, he had like a keyboard and his, and his syncopated thing. Back in the 80s when technology was kind of coming into its own, you didn't really even have to have a band. You could just needed a keyboard with all the instruments on it, and you could put all the instruments together. One guy could play all of them and record it, and he just plugged that into a sound system, and then you would play the sound system, and that would be the concert. You didn't need all the band members like you do today. In fact, Millie Vanilli taught us you didn't need singers. <laughs> you could just have a band without singers and without any instruments at all. So Jerry Propey was a one-man band. And he came and he played at our, at our Bible college. And 
he had a song that kind of lampooned a lot of the language and the verbiage that we use in prayer, sort of the Christianese. And the, the chorus to the song went like this. I just really, really, just really want to pray, and I just really, really, just to thank you for this day. For all the starving people, I just really want to ask, but I'm running out of time, so I'll make this really, really fast. For all the people listening, I hope they're just impressed. I just really, really, just really want them blessed. Amen. Now you're thinking to yourself, Jim, why do you have that memorized? And I can't answer that question. I haven't heard that song in 25 years, but I cannot forget the chorus to that song. When I am deep into the, the final stages of Alzheimer's and dementia, I'm not going to know who my wife and kids are, but I will be able to sing the chorus to that song. Now, Jerry Propey kind of lampooned uh, what it, a lot of the verbiage that we use in our prayer life, did he not? Have you ever heard somebody, and listen, I'm not trying to pick on you, but have you ever heard somebody pray, and when they pray, they pray, Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing, Lord, and Lord, you're good, Lord, and Lord, you're good to us every day, Lord. And Lord, we know that you know what we need, Lord. And so, Lord, you don't talk to anybody else like that, do you? You don't talk to anybody like that. You'd never talk to me like that. I would never talk to you like that. Why, why do we think that when we go to the Lord that we talk to Him like that? Now, if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, note to self, never pray again in the presence of Jim. <laughs> that, is, that is not what I'm driving at. Because if you want to make a list of people who sound like morons when they pray, you can put my name at the top of that list, and that's not a humble brag. That's a recognition that we all fail to do this. And when we do this, we're not trying to be malicious. We're not trying to be evil. We're not trying to be foolish. We're not trying to sound like a fool. We get lazy. We get lazy. That characterizes our prayers. We tend to step into the presence of God thoughtlessly and lazily without really giving any thought to what it is that we are saying or how we are saying it. And all I'm suggesting to you is that we try to be specific and intentional and brief and purposeful in our prayers. That just as when I talk to you, I don't string together a bunch of words and phrases that mean nothing and try and use a bunch of words that mean nothing. I have an intentional purpose when I speak to you, and I speak to you like you are an intelligent person who can understand what I am asking or requesting. We ought to do the same thing to God. And this should not cool our prayer life. This should encourage our prayer life. This should not remove the passion from our prayer because if, if your prayers consist of a bunch of meaningless phrases and, and emotional venting, then all you're doing is emotionally venting. That's not prayer. Prayer is having an intelligent, one-way conversation and requests with another individual who is also an intelligent individual and to do so on the basis of truth. That's what prayer is. When we were in the city of Jerusalem recently, and I bring this up not to say, I've been to Jerusalem, you haven't, or anything like that, but when we were in Jerusalem, I noticed this, and it happened a lot. When we went down to the Wailing Wall, there were people standing at the Wailing Wall, and they were holding their book of written-out prayers and rocking back and forth as they muttered what it was that they were muttering. They were going through a mantra written, and they would go page after page, and some of those men would stand there for hours doing this as they went through all of their, their written-out prayers. Was their heart and passion involved in it? I'm, I'm certain that some of them were very genuine and very passionate about what it is that they were praying. But all they were doing was uttering words and mantras and phrases over and over and over and over and over again. And they did it at the Western Wall. We went into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where the Roman Catholic Church thinks that, that Jesus was buried and where his body was prepared for burial. It wasn't prepared for burial there, nor was it buried there. But you know what we saw? People going through beads praying different beads, repeating phrases over and over and over again. As you walk through the old city of Jerusalem, on, you pass the Via Dolorosa, and what did you see? 
people committed to saying a certain thing at a certain place and uttering words and phrases and prayers over and over and over again, thinking that God hears us because of our many words or thinking that God hears us because I'm saying a certain thing at a certain place. That is not prayer. Let your words be few. Be cautious. Be thoughtful. Don't be hasty. Don't be impetuous to bring up a matter in the presence of God. Approach him like he is an intelligent individual who can understand you saying intelligent things as you bear your heart to him. That's what prayer is. I'm not discouraged by Solomon's, Solomon's counsel. Uh, look at verse 3. Verse 3, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. This is why you let your words be few. Because just like a dream, just like hard work brings about dreams, so the voice, many words brings about the voice of a fool. We can understand what Solomon is saying here in that proverb. When you work all day long at something, you just focused on one thing all day long, you put in, say, a 16-hour day, and you fall into bed exhausted at night, what do you dream about that night? Yeah, everything you worked on. You don't even get a break, right? Even while you're sleeping, you can't take a break from work because you dream about what it is that you worked on. That's what Solomon is saying. Through much effort, there comes dreams. You fall asleep and you dream about the thing that you have been expending much effort in. Just, like, just as hard work brings about many dreams, so the many words brings about the voice of a fool. You want to hear what a fool sounds like? Listen to him for his many words. He will speak fluently. He will speak big words. He will speak forever without listening, without hearing. He's just babbling and rambling fool. Don't let that characterize your worship. Don't let that characterize prayer. Listen to the cautions about folly. Proverbs 10, verse 8, the wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. Proverbs 10, 10, he who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. Proverbs 10, 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Later on in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 10, 13, and 14, the beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness, yet the fool multiplies words. He starts talking in its foolishness, he finishes talking and it's insanity, and yet that, that's what characterizes a fool, and yet he multiplies his words and just keeps talking. We do not want to offer the sacrifice of fools. We do not want to pray like a fool. Let your words be few. Don't be hasty, impulsive. Bring up a matter in the presence of God. Solomon is not discouraging all prayer. Don't get that. He's discouraging meaningless prayer. He's not discouraging perpetual prayer. He's discouraging the prayer of a fool. That's what he's trying to discourage. That's what we ought to, that's what we ought, that type of advice we ought to welcome. We ought to be thankful for such encouragement. And I'm not discouraged by Solomon's counsel here. I'm actually encouraged. I'm, I'm encouraged to know that God knows the motives of our hearts and he knows what we need and that my prayer is not heard because it is a lot of words or big sounding words or because it's structured well or anything like that, that God sees our hearts and he knows our hearts and we can offer to him prayer that is glorifying to him. That's what true prayer is. Augustine once said, Remove from prayer much speaking, but not much praying. I'll say it again. Remove from prayer much speaking, but not much praying. Now, he's not saying just think your prayers a lot. He's saying you ought to remove from prayer the verbosity, the multitude of words, but don't stop praying. Pray, just don't think you're being heard for the multitude of your words. Martin Luther counseled that our prayers should be brief, frequent, and intense. Brief, frequent, and intense. Because, Luther said, in his humorous and very blunt fashion, God has no need, this is a quote, God has no need for such everlasting twaddle, close quote. That's Luther. Make your prayers brief, frequent, and intense because God doesn't need your twaddling. He doesn't need your mindless repetition. He doesn't need our meaningless phrases. He doesn't need our formulas. He doesn't need our, our, our formulaic prayers or things written out. 
What he wants is our heart. He sees our heart. He knows our heart. Let that be an encouragement to you. Don't be impulsive or rash. Let your words be few. And pray to your God in heaven who hears, and he will give to us what it is that we ask of him. So let us pray now. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.